you know, didn't know what to expect, boy, girl. But as soon as we found out, it was great. There was no looking back. And then my younger one was born three and a half years later in 2003. So very proud to be a dad of two girls. Welcome to The Art of Fatherhood, a podcast that takes you on the journey of fatherhood. Now here's your host, Art Eddy. This episode of the Art of Fatherhood podcast is being brought to you by Sabre. As your kids go back to school, Sabre wants to give you peace of mind. In addition, Sabre wants to help make your students feel confident while they go on campus. We all know as parents the bittersweet moment when your kids head off to college. There are so many fun things for them to experience and explore, but also you want them to be safe. Sabre can do that with their school safety kit that has a pepper gel, a two-in-one personal alarm, and a doorstop alarm. Did you know that Sabre is the number one brand trusted by law enforcement and consumers worldwide? They empower generations with a deep range of personal safety product solutions designed with you in mind to keep you and your loved ones safe. Parents can carry on knowing that their loved ones are safer carrying Sabre. Right now, through September 15th, 2023, you can get 15% off select items using the code CAMPUS2023. Some of those items are pepper gel with a detachable safety whistle, personal alarm with LED light, a jeweled pepper spray, and a 2-in-1 stun gun with flashlight. Learn more about how you can keep your family safe with Sabre by going to saberred.com slash back to campus. That's saberred.com. S-A-B-R-E-R-E-D dot com slash back to campus. And make sure you check out how you can get 15% off those select items by using the code CAMPUS2023. What's going on, everybody? Art Eddie here for another edition of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. And I'm very excited to have this gentleman on. I'm, I'm so I love sports all, all across the board, the top four major sports. And this guy covers them all. He's a great broadcaster. It's none other than Kenny Albert. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me, sir. How you doing? I'm great, Art. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm on cloud nine. Talk with you. Your voice, man, to me, just like I could be in a room and maybe not watching a game, but if I hear your voice and something happens, I turn around like, all right, something's happening because Kenny's, Kenny's uh, you know, just telling us by his words. So I love the work that you do. But of course, I want to bring good guys like yourself to talk about their fatherhood journey. You've got two daughters. I've got two daughters. Talk a little bit about when you found out you were going to be a dad. What was going through your mind, sir? Well, it was a long time ago now. My oldest is about to turn 24 and my youngest is 20. So uh, it was just so exciting when I think back, uh, 1999, my oldest was born in October and, you know, didn't know what to expect, boy, girl. But as soon as we found out, it was great. There was no looking back. And then my younger one was born uh, three and a half years later in 2003. So very proud to be a dad of two girls. Nice, man. I I feel you 100 percent on all of that. Uh, talk a little bit about the core values you're looking to instill, because if people know you and your work, work ethic has to be up there, right, sir? Our household was kind of different as far as my schedule. And I was sort of the opposite of most parents who are home on weekends and working during the week. I had kind of the opposite schedule. I was hardly ever home on a weekend, but I was home more during the week. I would have some road trips and games at night, for example, to broadcast, but um, we made the best of it. My wife was great. She knew what she was getting into. Uh, as we record this today, this is our 27th anniversary. August 10th, 1996 was the wedding. Uh, my wife's name is Barbara. So we had Barbie and Ken dolls on the cake, which is pretty apropos these days with the <laughs> movie. And it's funny. She doesn't go by Barbie and I don't go by Ken, but when people 
hear or see that they're like wow i never i never really thought about that i never really realized that kenny and barbara but we did have the we had the dolls on our cake but um when my kids were young i tried to do as much as possible during the week drive to school some days pick up from school attend the weekday activities with them uh like i said i did miss a lot on the weekends but we tried to make the best of it uh they would come on road trips once in a while and uh we have some great memories of, of family trips uh, for example, to Hawaii for the Pro Bowl, I was working in, in February 2008. So my kids were uh, eight or nine and my younger one had just turned five. So uh, they did get to tag along a bit, but um, I loved the schedule. Definitely got to do some things that other parents couldn't do because I was home a little more during the week. Nice. That That is such a great perspective to have, too. I mean, yeah, you got... The weekends, everybody like, you know, goes for the weekends, looks forward to it, obviously do enjoy sports and listen to you do your your thing on uh, on TV. But then, you know, to have those five days and it's almost like I used to work when I used to work in retail, like in uh, high school and college and right out of college. I remember like having like a Tuesday and like the mall or a store will be totally empty. And it's like nice because it's just like so taking your kids to like, you know, a store or a restaurant, you don't have to wait in line. So there are some advantages like having those weekdays, right? Right. And it wasn't like I was home every weekday. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was away and working at, you know, a lot of nights, especially, but um, whether it was two or three days on a given week, uh, would definitely try to take advantage whenever I could. Nice. What is something that your kids have kind of taught you about life or about yourself that maybe you didn't know was there, but once you became a dad, they brought it out in you. That's a great question. I think just uh, the time management. Uh, once you become a parent um, before that uh, you don't really have to answer to anybody when you're, when you're single. And then when you get married, it's, it's you and your spouse. But um, I just remember the amount of time you really had to balance uh, whether it was getting up in the middle of the night to help with the bottle. And my wife probably did it 80% of the time and I did it the other 20, but um, the 3 AM wake up or, you know, my, my schedule normally, if I'm traveling or on the road, I uh, might have an early flight. But if I'm home and have a game that night, for example, um, I'm trying to sleep until about nine o'clock because I work nights and have to be fresh and energized to call a game at night. So it was definitely uh, a challenge um, getting up earlier, uh, whether it was just because I heard them crying in the morning or to drive to school. So learning to set your schedule whether it was to drive to school or to a, a sporting event or some other type of activity um, you really had to be organized and uh, it was very time consuming it was it was very enjoyable and all good memories but uh, definitely when you have young kids especially you have to learn to balance the schedule a lot more than prior to that. No doubt. Yeah, that's a great in, like insight. And that's like when I asked that question, it's the first time someone said time management. You're so right, because like you need and like the always idea is like, oh, when they sleep, try and get things done. No, sleep when they sleep. And then like if you uh, depending on what you can do, like while you're feeding them, then maybe you can kind of do some errands or like not errands, like if you're feeding them, but like like clean up the house a little bit while they're like eating something on their on their high chair and stuff like that. So, yeah, time management. Uh, is funny like, story. I was sitting in this exact chair in my home office, my older daughter Amanda was probably two so this is in 2001 and I had to do some work and make some phone calls so she was sleeping on my chest in, in a baby Bjorn I don't even know if those are still around but I strapped it around my shoulders 
so she's right here sleeping on my chest while I'm trying to do some work on the computer. And I'll never forget the phone rang and I picked up and started talking and it startled her. And she started screaming, crying. But, uh, you know, again, my wife was out at that time for a couple of hours and I was in charge and, uh, you would do anything you can to, to maybe get them to sleep, take a nap. But in, on that particular day, it was right here on my chest and tried to get some work done while she was hanging on me fast asleep. I, I love that. That like any, any parent, mom or dad listening to this, you have that uh, baby Bjorn's actually, we just got back from a family vacation and there was a, a mom had a, a kid and a baby Bjorn. And I remember took my, uh, my oldest at the time when she was like little, went for a walk around the apartment complex and she was like, just fast asleep. I'm like, all right, she's getting a good nap and I don't want to wake her. So I'm like, what do I do? I was playing video games. <laughs> she's just like in the baby Bjorn, not doing work like you were doing. I was doing something that wasn't really constructive. But... Oh, I would have her, you know, I'd bring the car seat in from the car. And if she was tired, you know, put her to, in the car seat in the office. I used to have a, uh, it wasn't really a carpet, but it was in the middle of the floor and it was the alphabet. Uh, you know, it was for kids to roll around on. So she spent a lot of time on that as well. Nice, man. Uh, one more question before we get into your book and your fantastic career. Talk like, you know, I think a lot of things you're saying right now, time management in different ways, like, you know, the, using the baby Bjorn to your advantage. Um, but is there a dad hack or a piece of advice? And it doesn't have to be for new dads, but just for dads in general or parents in general listening to this. I mean, new dads love kind of getting some insight into fatherhood, but can be for new dads or just dads in general. Do you have a piece of advice or a dad hack? Well, a bunch of things come to mind. Every age, when they turn two, three, four, when I think back, you always think that's the best age. Whatever they're doing at that time, uh, there are always new challenges. And I tried to videotape a lot. This is before cameras and video on the iPhone. So yeah. I had one of those uh, real video cameras and just put so many memories on tape. That's easy to do now with, with the iPhone, obviously. I kept a diary for my oldest until she was about three or four uh for my youngest i probably did it for only two years but i wrote something down every day what she did where we went and once in a while i'll pull it out and, and we'll go back and look at it probably easier to do now again you could document so many things on your phone but this is back in 1999 in the early 2000s so i had those old marble notebooks that you used in school with the black and white cover the composition have about four of them with uh, all of these memories. That was something that I wanted to do. I also, I did this for my kids and for my nieces and nephews, and I give them to them later on. Um, I bought all the newspapers the day they were born. So I have every newspaper from October 5th, 1999, January 27th, 2003, when my kids were born. Yeah. And I don't know if they'll ever care, if they'll ever look through them, but it's something I wanted to do. And like I said, I, I purchase all all of the new york new jersey you know five or six newspapers on the day every one of my nieces and nephews was born as well so it makes a pretty nice gift when they turn 13 15 uh whenever whenever you know whenever i decide to give it to all of them oh, that is fantastic that is so cool like to have those it's like a time capsule right and and the idea of like you know every age you like oh this is the best age it's almost like when you talk about sports or music or movies like oh when I was growing up that was the best time but yeah I, I love the, the having the idea of perspective where you know every age you got to find you know some fun and 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 some you know good times in there so I love that your kids for the most part will never think you're funny <laughs> uh, 
I could use the same line or same joke that a comedian uses and thousands of people laugh. But if it comes out of my mouth, that's not funny, dad. We yeah, as dad and the whole like idea of dad jokes and that trope, right? Like you get if you get an eye roll, like all right, at least I got something, right? I've got a lot of eye rolls. <laughs> and I know they'll be watching this. I've said it to their face many times. Oh, I love it. But on the rare occasion when they do think you're funny, they'll they'll actually slip the word actually in. That was actually funny. And I'll always say, Do you have to use the word actually? Can you just say that was funny? <laughs> Little backhanded compliment, right? I love that. Nice, man. Congratulations on your book, A Mike for All Seasons. For Like I said earlier, sports is a big part of my life. You know, growing up in Buffalo, like my mom, God rest her soul, like, you know, loved Sabres, hockey, loved Buffalo Bills. And we moved around a lot. And I became a Niners fan because I was born in South Bend at the time. Like Joe Montana was playing for the Irish and at Notre Dame. But like to me, sports is so is, is a great way to bond with families and friends. Obviously, fantasy football leagues are just fantasy leagues and just getting together to watch a game. But you and your voice to me are iconic, like I said earlier. And like the way I appreciate the way you call a game, the interpret a game. And obviously, you know, you want to talk about your experience and you wrote this book. But when did you kind of feel that broadcasting was going to be profession? I know you've talked about this in your book and all that. But for my audience, when did you kind of know? And you obviously come from a long line of your dad and other family members are, are in the sports broadcasting industry as well. But when did you kind of know? When was that aha moment? Like, yeah, this is where I want my path to go. Well, I'm probably not the norm. I'm very unusual in that I knew when I was about five or six years old, growing up with my father and his two brothers, my uncles, who were all play-by-play -play broadcasters. And I tell I tell a lot of these stories in my book, but um, my parents gave me a tape recorder for my birthday when I was five or six years old. And I set up my room like a radio or TV studio. I had the desk and the bed in the middle and the TV on the other side. And I would start calling games into the tape recorder. And when I was old enough, I would bring it to Madison Square Garden or Shea Stadium and announce games on tape, on the cassettes. And I, I was really, really fortunate. A big break in high school. I covered all the high school sports for the school paper and the town paper. So I was always around the gym and the fields. In 10th grade, January 1984, a small cable station from a neighboring town uh, Cox Cable of Great Neck came to my high school in Port Washington on Long Island to film a girls basketball game. And they had two uh, cameras. They had a little production van and no announcers. They were, they were just going to film the game with natural sound from the gym. And I was introduced to the producer. I volunteered. They clipped a microphone on me and I spoke to him the next day on the phone. And he offered me the opportunity as a high school student to broadcast what turned out to be between 75 and 100 games over the next three years, all over Long Island, high school and college, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, soccer, lacrosse. And at that point, high school students didn't really have the opportunity to do that until they were off to college. Now it's a different story with so many great programs for high school students, but I had a three-year head start on anybody else my age that wanted to do play-by-play -play for a living, went on to NYU, my friends and I called the the men's and women's basketball games, and my goal was to do hockey on the radio and did some fill-in work with the New York Islanders and sent those tapes around and, again, was very fortunate to get hired by a minor league team, the Baltimore Skipjacks, in 1990, and I did their radio for two years, uh, handled so many other duties as well around the office, really learned what it takes to run a sports organization. I had to do PR and marketing and sales and pick up players from the airport and all kinds of other errands. Uh, went on to the Washington Capitals for three years, 
uh, was hired by Fox Sports in 1994. Again, all these stories are in the book. Yeah. Um, and here we are three decades later. But a mic for all seasons. Uh, it will be published in October, October 10th, 2023. And uh, always thought about it. I feel like I have so many stories. My family pushed me to do it. And during the pandemic was really when I started started writing, when I was home for 146 straight days. And uh, not like you were counting at all, right? <laughs> I, was, I would announce at dinner every night, dinner number 57, dinner number 72. They made fun of me for that as well. Um, <laughs> but I put together an outline, wrote some sample chapters, uh, hooked up with a book agent who uh, put together a deal with Triumph Books out of Chicago, and then really started the process. And over the last two years or so, got it done, uh, went through the editing process, and it's out in a little over a month as we speak. Uh, can't wait. Did it myself. No ghostwriter. Right. Wanted it to be my voice, my stories. And it's a combination of early life, uh, the Cox Cable days that I just talked about, uh, college, early years working professionally, uh, getting hired by Fox, a chapter on each sport, hockey, basketball, baseball, football, stories, memorable games, uh, anecdotes about my color analysts, uh, some travel tales, uh, a chapter about uh, how things worked on the broadcasting side during the COVID years, a chapter giving advice to young broadcasters, high school and college students who want to get into sports casting, a lot of family stories. So uh, it's a compilation of all that. And uh, the forward, I had two star athletes, superstar athletes who I've worked with, Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier, uh, were kind enough to take part and in, in each wrote a portion of the forward. Yeah, that is First of all, to get those guys to write the forward, that's awesome. And even like uh, when you announced it on Instagram, uh, you know, I, I love Wayne Gretzky. He was like, you know, congratulations. Or he was just very excited for you for this book. You know, when people watch documentaries or a behind the scenes, like I always love, like I'm a bit obvious. You can tell I'm a big Star Wars nut. But like when you see like the behind the scenes of George Lucas, and you know, his his wife at the time, like, and how they all like work together to get the thing done. Like you love that, like the, the behind the scenes. So this book, if anybody, not even you're into sports, just like television or whatever is a great book just to get that insight. And I kind of want to go back to what you got to experience in high school, because you know, this, the more experience you get at something, because they always say like, when you get out of college, like, Oh, we'd love to hire you. But if you had more experience, like you said, you didn't have that issue you know, the ideas of like internships now are starting even in, in high school instead of just college. But like, how great did you feel? Like, when did you kind of feel like when you were in high school, maybe a junior or senior, we were like, I'm starting to get more comfortable. And you don't want to get comfortable, obviously, in any job because then you stop growing. But just to the point where the comfortable where you felt like, yeah, I have the respect from other people from what I do. And now, like, once I go into college, I believe that I can take this forward. Like, did you have that moment or did you did you constantly think about, like, what when will you get to the point where you were comfortable enough to feel like, yes, I have the confidence. And when I go into college and furthermore into, like, my professional career, did you have that in high school or was that more in college? Well, the big thing was getting the reps. I would bring friends along as my color analysts and you get better with each and every game, every broadcast. So to have those 75 to 100 reps. Uh, was huge. And then in college, mostly did basketball, a little bit of football. I would practice hockey into the tape recorder. But I think you feel it little by little as you move along. And and I did have the confidence in college by doing a lot of basketball, like I said, hockey, getting hired to fill in on some Islander games as a senior in college. 
And I felt at that point I was ready to send tapes out at the minor league level. And then those two years were so huge as well. 80 games a year doing uh, uh, the Baltimore Skipjacks games, many of them alone. I had injured players sometimes sit in and a former coach and a couple of other folks. But uh, like I said, you learn with each and every rep. And, and those years were huge. Nice. You know, so I really, when I think about it, when I, when I, when I got hired by the, capitals and home team sports in 92 I, I really had about nine years of experience at that point the the three years on cox cable four years in college and then the two years at the minor league level so uh 24 years old but with nine years of broadcasting experience in in for me with my radio background and i, I just love the fact that you were saying like you had to do marketing you had to pick up the players and all that you, you feel better and like you feel more you appreciate your success more when you had to wear so many hats, right? Like when you had to do all of these things and then you start to focus on the, just the one job you really want. That makes you feel good. Right. <laughs> and you know, during the college days and then the minor league days, I was my own engineer producer. I had to set up the equipment and I don't know anything about technology and it was antiquated equipment back then. We had a couple of games where the equipment didn't work once in college, once in Binghamton, New York, uh, doing a, a hockey game, we actually did the game over an old-fashioned rotary phone, handing the phone back and forth to each other. That's how we did the entire game, because we couldn't get the equipment to work. My first game with Baltimore in Hershey, Pennsylvania, uh, we had to set up the equipment and plug it into a phone jack. And during the second period, by accident, either myself or my color analyst kicked out uh, the wire. It got loose from the phone jack. And we, we had a note passed up to us from the press box, call your station, you're off the air. This was my first game as a professional full-time. I thought I was going to be fired the next day, but uh, it was all great experiences. And yes, once you move on to the next level and you have engineers and producers and technicians, it's a lot easier when you only have to worry about one job. <laughs> no doubt. All right. So that bleeds into my next question about focusing on just one job. A lot of people say, and I remember I went to my, uh, my buddy was in, um, is in the Navy and he, I went to visit him in Virginia. We went to like the sports uh, museum and I, they said like, you know, Hey, you can call a play. And I'm like, Oh, I'll mail this. Nope. I, <laughs> I was like a deer in headlights. So when people like watch you and other people like, Oh, it's easy. I can do this. And then when you try and do it, like it's super hard. And that's just for one sport. But you had a Deion Sanders moment, but you broadcasted four different sports in four days. So the prep and all that other stuff kind of gets tossed out. The, the normal type of prep gets tossed out the window. Talk about that amazing feat, because I think about, like doing two games in two days or a span of three days is amazing enough. But four games in four days, totally different sports. How are you mentally preparing for that? Funny you mention that because you have not seen my book yet. It's not out yet. There's a chapter which talks about doing multiple sports and I wrote about many other announcers who have done, whether it's three or four different sports, the title of the chapter is Move Over Dion and Bo, referring <laughs> to Dion Sanders and Bo Jackson. And I reminisce about some of those times where I did four sports in four days or five sports in, in a three-week stretch one time with, with hockey, basketball, football, baseball, and a boxing match thrown in. Um, I love the variety. I always have since high school, since the days at Cox Cable and then when I worked at home team sports in Washington, did hockey and then filled in on some basketball and baseball and did some other college sports as well. So uh, that's one of the most fun parts of what I do. And you have to be real organized. Uh, the preparation that goes into each and every broadcast. I have a checklist that I go through 
prior to every game. It involves a lot of reading, watching prior games, uh, going to press conferences and talking to players and coaches and preparing charts and pouring through statistics. So uh, for some reason during those crazy stretches, somehow I get the work done. I'm on planes and in hotels and taxis and Ubers and I'll, I'll be reading on my iPad and, and taking advantage of the time. So uh, those are some of the most fun times when I think back, but uh, the title of that chapter, move over Dion and Bo. <laughs> nice. Such a great, I can't wait for this, for people to check out this book. Um, and this is almost, you could almost reverse this question because I feel like you learned a lot when you were just started out to now, but like, if you could go back in time, time machine, what would you tell your younger self that maybe it took you a little bit in the, in the early years to kind of get over? Like, was there something, or maybe there wasn't, but what would you, what piece of advice would you tell your younger self of all the knowledge, you know, now about this industry? Well, I'm an over-preparer for every game. I'll do too much homework. And I remember in the early days, and all of us do this, um, you probably try to sneak in too much information to prove that you did the work. And during my first year with the Capitals, with Home Team Sports, the executive producer uh, called me up one day and he said, um, you know, we know how much work you do. We know you prepare. You're, you're using a little too much information. Just pull back a little bit. You got the job already. You know, we know that you do the work. So that was probably one of the things I learned along the way is you probably only use five to 10% of the information that you have and that you prepared. I also would have been amazed uh, if I had written a letter to myself back then. Now would have been amazed at how technology has changed. When I started with Fox in 94, for example, uh, they would send us VHS tapes of each team's previous game. We wouldn't get them until Wednesday. They would make the copies on Monday, send them out Tuesday, arrival on Wednesday. Now you can watch any game on your on your iPhone, your iPad, your computer, direct TV. Back in 94, they were sending us articles from both cities about both teams on fax paper through a fax machine. So I had to buy these rolls and reams of paper, fax paper, if the listeners and viewers remember what that was like. Yeah, yeah. Now, one click of the button on the internet, you can read whatever you want. So... <laughs> Technology has really changed uh, the preparation um, as well as what you see on television uh, whenever you watch a sporting event. Nice. Two more questions before we finish off with the father, a quick five. And again, this has such been a great conversation. Just like I said, big fan of your work and love hearing more, like more inside uh, about your, your career and fatherhood. So, you know, to put the football analogy in a sports analogy, right. When let's just say Aaron Rodgers, right. Going to the jets and it's going to take a little bit of time for, you know, to build up a relationship that he had, like, let's say with Devonte Adams, right. You give a head nod or you do like something like this and like, all right, we know what to do. Right. So for you in um, the different sports you do and the, and, the, and the different people you work with, especially for the color commentators, how hard or like, what's the transition like for building that relationship? So when you're on air, you guys, you know, kind of like, we'll work like a, a quarterback wide receiver, you know, combo that's been, you know, doing it for years. Like how long does it take for that relationship to build up to, to where you guys are able to like, just do a wink and a nod. And it's like, all right, you can go. And Another subject I wrote about in the book, I've worked with over 250 color analysts in the various sports combined. Uh, many of them for only one game and others for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, Dave Maloney is my Ranger radio partner, former captain of the team going on our 19th season together. Uh, I've worked about 15 Knicks games every year with Walt Clyde Frazier since 2008. Uh, was with Moose Johnston and, and Tony Saragusa, Moose and Goose, for eight years uh, together. Was with 
moose for 10, but moose and goose for eight. And, you know, whenever I work with someone for the first time and I've worked with, I counted it up this past weekend, I went to the football hall of fame ceremonies for the first time. My former partner, Rondé Barber was inducted. It was a great weekend. And it, it turns out I've worked with 15 pro football hall of famers as color analysts at various times. And I always like to do a little research on their careers before the first time I work with them, because you never know what might come up during the game, uh, a question that I might be able to ask them or lead them into a specific area, depending on what's happening on the field. Um, you know, I think about the games I got to work with Tim McCarver, one of the greatest baseball analysts of all time. Um, different dynamic with a three-person booth with Moose and Goose. Uh, Daryl was in the booth. Tony was on the field and there had to be that nonverbal communication. And I was always amazed at how little they, they talked over each other. I've worked in several three-person booths in hockey uh, the last two years on TNT with Eddie Olchek upstairs, Keith Jones downstairs. And you just develop that rhythm, develop that chemistry. Um, you know, I remember again in the early days, uh, probably so worried about my portion of the job that sometimes it may have felt like two separate broadcasts. You know, I would call the play, do the play-by-play. Then the color analyst would come in and do his thing. Then it would come back to me. But you have to learn that that chemistry uh, uh, conversations with each other throughout the game. And I think that just develops with time. And um, I've loved each and every one of the color analysts that I've worked with, um, no matter what the sport. Uh, the biggest assist went to uh, a gentleman, and I, I can't remember his name. I was assigned once to college wrestling. I was about 25, 26 years old. And I've done some other sports, uh, track and field and volleyball and boxing, horse racing, where, um, you know, I wasn't as familiar with those sports. I went out and I bought volleyball for dummies, track and field for dummies, um, spoke with our local volleyball coach. She was tremendous for an hour and a half. I told her to tell me everything you know about the strategy and the history and the rules, et cetera. And that went a long way to uh, my work on the Olympics doing beach and indoor volleyball a couple of years ago. But the college wrestling, again, I studied, I watched other events, I, I did a lot of reading. I even spoke to an Olympic wrestler, Jeff Blatnick, on the phone. Somebody connected me with him, and it was down in North Carolina at UNC. Yeah. And it was the ACC Wrestling Championships, and uh, I thought I was prepared. And I was sort of like the traffic cop. I, I'd give the, the name of the wrestler, where they're from, what year in college, their record, do the same thing for the opponent. But then once they started... I had no idea what I was watching. Luckily, I had a great color analyst who had been a college wrestler, and he carried me that day. Nice. Love that. Um, one more question before we finish off with the Father Quick Five. And this is this might be tough, right? But, like, because you've covered so many great things. But was there a, a, a game that you covered or an event that you covered at that time It meant so much to you because maybe you were, like, dreaming to get to that point or whatever, but – there's again, it's going to be really hard. It doesn't have to be like one, the one that you pick is the best one, but is there one that means a lot to you because of where you were in your career and where you wanted to go? There's one game that stands out. It was uh, 2007, eight, the sugar ball I called with Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long. Uh, They obviously have been colleagues at Fox, but they're on the pregame show. I'm out of the game. So, um, we're never really together much, but that was very uh, exciting. It was an honor to be assigned to work that game with Howie and Terry, January, 2007. It was Notre Dame LSU. So I never went back to watch that one. I had such a good feeling about it. So that's one that stands out in my mind. 
but very fortunate to call a number of big events, uh, 10 Stanley Cup finals, eight on the radio, two on the TV side, including this past year with Vegas and Florida. Um, called the Rangers winning the Cup in 94 on NHL radio, the national radio broadcast. Um, you know, too many football games to name, uh, playoff <laughs> games, Pro Bowl. I did the international call of Super Bowl 46 with Joe Theismann. It was not on in the U.S., but it went everywhere else. Um, I get asked a lot about the Bautista home run and bat flip in 2015 in the playoffs in Toronto. Yeah. I worked that game. And another one right at the top of the list, uh, the Women's Hockey Olympic gold medal game in 2018, Pyeongchang, South Korea. United States beat Canada in a shootout. Canada had won the prior four gold medals, so that was a very emotional, exciting broadcast as well. Uh, thank you very much for sharing that. And, you know, hockey is just my my youngest. She's became a Bruins fan. And um, over the time, like I got to tell her, like for Christmas, we got our tickets to the Canes and Bruins. And we and the Bruins ended up winning in a shootout towards the end. I'm like, you 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 can't script a better game to go to than this. And then, like, I had to tell her, I'm like, I'm sorry that they lost. But people who win the President's Cup, like, I think it's like the in the last 13 years, only one has won the Stanley Cup. And she was bummed. I'm like. Hockey is really tough. It's not like the Chiefs because she's a Chiefs fan in the NFL. And she's like, it's not like them. Like, you know, they have like a decent path to go in there. And they're like, they're the number one team for a reason. I said, hockey is tough. So you probably know all of that. Like how hockey is just like the most insane and like, uns- like they're not, they're all unscripted. But the idea of like, you can't count on the number one in hockey to win it all. all right, right? There are a lot of upsets. Bruins lost in the first round of the playoffs this year. Yeah, she was not happy. All right, thanks very much for uh, sharing your father journey, obviously your book and your great career. We're going to finish off the father quick five. Favorite family movie, do you guys have one? I remember when the kids were young, uh, we watched The Parent Trap together several times. Um, Miracle, a couple of years later, the the story of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. But uh, the one that I really remember when they were young was was The Parent Trap. Nice genre of music or certain band you couldn't wait to introduce your daughters to they've they've become big billy joel fans and you know when they were younger uh we took them to miley cyrus concerts hannah montana taylor swift a couple of times uh they and their friends were very jealous when i took a selfie with taylor swift i was working a knicks game in 2014 and she was sitting two seats down and we wound up on the, on the floor on the court we wound up taking a photo together but uh, we just went to a Billy Joel concert recently as a family. So uh, even though he's from the 70s and 80s and my childhood and my wife's childhood, the kids have become big fans of his as well. That's great. Uh, describe the perfect family vacation. Maybe it was Hawaii, but where where is the perfect family vacation for you guys? Well, due to my schedule, some family vacations, a lot of them surrounded my work schedule. So we were among the only people who took family vacations to Pittsburgh and Buffalo at times. Nothing against those cities. I love I love Pittsburgh and Buffalo, where I know you live for a <laughs> while. But those were some of our uh, spring break vacations because of the hockey playoffs. Yeah. Um, but no, Hawaii was great uh, when they were younger for the Pro Bowl. Um, I've, again, been very lucky. My family's come along with me uh, when I've been working to Olympics in Vancouver and Rio in Brazil. Nice. And they've come to London when I worked a football game over there. So those are probably the biggest memories. Uh, the vacation slash work for me, Hawaii, Rio, Vancouver, and London. We just have some great memories. Um, we also had a, a really good family trip uh, last year down to Cancun, a resort called Nizuk, N-I-Z-U-C. 
So that was a great one last June, 2022. And then my wife and I went back this year. So that's probably <laughs> the most recent one. Nice. Uh, and I think you talked about it, but your first professional game, what was the emotion before and the emotion after? So I had filled in on some Islander pre and post game shows, but the first professional game I called was the Islanders at Winnipeg in December of 89. And it was just so exciting. Um, I have vivid memories of that game. Uh, a couple of friends who were in the business sent me a telegram. That's how long ago it was. They sent me a telegram at the hotel wishing me luck. Yeah. But I felt like I was ready at the time. Now, listening back to the tape now, maybe not so much, but um, no, that was a lot of fun. I remember uh, the first game I worked with with Moose Johnston and Tony Saragusa. Uh, that was probably the biggest platform that that I had had up until that point. It was a preseason NFL game, but there were millions and millions of people watching. And I just remember the excitement prior to our first playoff game as well later that season in Green Bay. Awesome. Thank you very much. And lastly, top three words you hope your daughters would use to describe you as a dad. What would you want them to be? Well, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully nice, kind, generous. Um, I mentioned earlier, they don't think I'm funny, so I know they won't be using that word. But uh, yeah, I would think nice, kind, generous. Hopefully those would be uh, among the words if they were to describe me. Great three words right there. People, make sure you follow Kenny on Twitter at Kenny Albert and also go to his Instagram at Kenny Albert, the number one right after Albert. And make sure you pre-order his book, A Mic for All Seasons, wherever you pick up books. This book is just, it, it's a great read. Like I said, you heard the stories that Kenny was sharing right now on this, on this uh, interview, but um, thank you very much for the time. I really appreciate your insight on fatherhood and obviously the great work you do in covering sports, but I wish you and your family continued success, but thank you again for taking the time to chat with me, sir. Thanks, Art. Really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun, a little different than the interviews that I normally do. And, and that's what made it so much fun. And thanks for your support as far as the book and hope you and the listeners enjoy it. Thank you. I want to thank Sabre for sponsoring this week's Art of Fatherhood podcast. I really appreciate their support. And I also appreciate what they're doing to keep families safe and not only give students confidence when they're on campus and away from home, but also to giving parents peace of mind. Make sure you check out their great sale right now by using the code CAMPUS2023. And also to please rate, subscribe, and review anytime you check out the Art of Fatherhood podcast. I really appreciate that. It'll help get the word out. Go to artoffatherhood.net for all the different podcasts, articles, reviews, and giveaways. Thanks for listening to the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and go to artoffatherhood.net.